As a strong, independent mother, there is nothing that will get in the way of your child's safety. Soberlink understands the importance of peace of mind when it comes to co-parenting after a divorce. Using the highest quality technology and with features like facial recognition and real-time results, moms like you are empowered with proof that your child is safe. Navigating life post-divorce can be difficult, and having a tool like Soberlink allows for one less thing to stress about. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create this resource, Tips for Single Moms Returning to Work. To access the guide, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash MMO. This week on Moms Moving On. So I think before even claiming that there's that healing piece, right, of rebuilding self-esteem, of sort of believing that people will not betray you, of believing that love can be kind and good again, Mm -hmm. which is a really, really hard thing for people that have been burned so badly. So, I mean, I think before they can even lean into like loving sexuality, it's really just healing that piece. Once they've gone through that, I think that they land in the, the more general pool of where the other population, right, who just were like, this ended and now I have to rebuild my sex. But either way, I think both parties land in the space of like, oh shit, what now? Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On, everyone. I'm so happy to hear you because today we're getting down and dirty and a little bit sexy because we're talking about sex after divorce, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uncomfortable, and how to get to a place again where we're just loving it. We're talking to probably the perfect person for this conversation, Dr. Lisa Pass, who has a doctorate in clinical sexology did you know that was a thing? And is a board certified sex therapist and a licensed marriage and family therapist. She also has a master's degree in counseling psychology and marriage and family therapy. There's so many things she does that make her the perfect girl for the job. Lisa, it's so nice to have you here. It is so nice to be here. I'm like really excited to have this conversation. I, I just went back to our original like tech or email thread and it was in the beginning of July. And here we are mid-October, by the time that people hear this, will be in November. So this was like a long time coming. This was like almost a short birth. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Dr. Lisa- long orgasm, either one. <laughs> there's something that I can't overlook before we start talking. Your last name in Spanish means peace. It does. It does. This is my married name. My maiden name was 10 letters and German and clunky. And I was like very excited (laughs) to adopt this very peaceful three letter last name. But I love that, like for what you do for a living. I mean, it's like perfect. No, it's perfect. Couldn't plan it better. I I could not have planned it better. I, it was dumb luck, but I will ride it all the way to the end. Okay. No pun intended. Let's talk about sex. (laughs) All right. So give us like the background and how you got into sex. Yep. So basically I was, I always liked sex and, and I was like that person from early, from like junior high, high school that like everyone went to, to talk about like the first kiss and so on and so forth. Right. So like inherently I was that person. And then I studied psychology in graduate school and I actually started a master's in 
communications. And then I realized that there was a subsect of psychology that really dealt with intimate issues, relational issues. And I was like, oh, oh. And my aunt and my grandmother were both like that. That's what you should do. You should be talking about sex. And really, it was was my 80-something-year-old grandparents at the time, both of them, that really championed it. And I was like, well, if they're saying so. Anyway, and then I, I followed it all the way through and really feel privileged because sex is one of those things and sexual issues and relational issues that like doesn't matter your race, your color, your creed, your education level, your economic status, like it gets you. And if it's not working, none of those factors really support or save you. And so it applies to all of us, but people don't talk about it. That's such a great point. And I see on your website, you, you deal with like the whole gamut. It's not just intimacy issues. It's hyperactive sexuality disorders and it's gender identity issues. I mean, it's like sex across the board. Sex across the board, pain disorders, when the body stops cooperating, infidelity. And we don't realize how someone once said to me, and it was like the perfect way to say it. They said sex when it's functioning is probably 10% of a relationship or an identity. Sex when it's not functioning is probably 90% of a relationship or an identity. And I was like, yes, that's the perfect way to describe sort of why it becomes important when it breaks down. It's so true. I, you know, for so many women who are at the end of their marriages, you know, they're already in separate bedrooms. They haven't been intimate in a really long time yet. It's the thing that they focus on. We never have sex. We never had sex. And I remember being in my first marriage out with girlfriends for dinner who are like, oh, to go home and have sex with my husband later. Whereas the people who have stopped having it are like, well, that doesn't sound so bad, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I, people will come into me, couples like I sort of where, you know, they're at the the tail end and they're like, everything is okay, except we're not having sex. And I'm always like, "Uh uh-huh. Tell me more. Right. It's like such a temperature taker canary in the coal mine of like other stuff going on. All right. So we're going to narrow it down today to talk about what I got to ask about most. How do I come out of this marriage where either it's been loveless for so long, or I was cheated on and feel just completely disgusting because he didn't want me. He wanted somebody else. How do I move forward and rediscover my sexuality and feel comfortable again with somebody else? Yeah. I bet those are the things you hear most. So let's divide it into two, because I think that while they might land in the same space, there's two different paths out the infidelity that right. Women who are the recipient of infidelity or on the the betrayal side of that, you're right. They come out feeling broken, feeling somehow at fault, feeling rejected. And so I think before even claiming that there's that healing piece, right. Of rebuilding self-esteem of sort of believing that people will not betray you of believing that love can be kind and good again, Mm -hmm. which is a really, really hard thing for people that have been burned so badly. So, I mean, I think before they can even lean into like loving, sexuality, it's really just healing that piece. Once they've gone through that, I think that they land in the the more general pool of where the other population, right? Who just were like, this ended and now I have to rebuild my sex. But either way, I think both parties land in the space of like, oh shit, what now? And Mm -hmm. so for women, it's interesting. Top three desire inhibitors for women are feeling disconnected from their partner, feeling uncomfortable in their bodies and feeling like their to-do list is too long. Like they're too stressed. They have too much going on. They have to fold the laundry, make a business call, take the kids somewhere, et cetera. And so this gets triple heightened for people that are sort of on the back end of a divorce and trying to re-engage the world. So 
trying to manage these three things will really help them start to launch into that. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. Um, So I think that that includes several different things. Self-pleasure is critical. I'm a huge fan of women having a masturbation practice. I think that if you don't know what you like, if you don't know where your head goes when you're not trying to also look attractive and make sure you don't smell and make sure there's no cellulite in this position, make sure that your boobs aren't sagging when you bend over, right? When we're not sort of managing, it's true, right? This is like, with our brains, when we are having sex, we're like half. You just moment. hit it on the head for like every woman listening. One hundred percent, and we arch our back a little more because the tush looks better if the back is arched, and so on and so forth, right? But what that does is it keeps us kind of in the moment and kind of managing ourselves, and so that can become a very critical voice if we are coming out of a relationship, if we are new to dating somebody and want to put our best foot forward and no longer sort of 25 with the tightest ass and da, 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 and the tightest anything else because maybe you've had kids and 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 so sort of learning how to stay in a sexualized headspace is a very important thing for women and one of the easiest i say easiest with quotes but one of the easiest ways to start practicing that is through masturbation is through checking in on when I don't have to manage anything else. Where does my head land? How do I go from being someone's sister, daughter, friend, ex-wife, parent, all the roles and hats that we wear to just being a woman who's being sexual. And for a lot of women, that transition from wearing all those hats to just being in a sexual space is is a long winding road and can be like um, challenging. So masturbation is a really useful way to sort of dial that in. Um, Okay, so that's one, does that make sense? Yes. Um, Okay, so that would be one piece, right? The second piece that I always suggest to women is to have a little bit of fun with it and make sure they know it's a chapter, right? So like, you know, you're coming out of, however long a marriage was and marriage is beautiful when it's working and blah, blah, blah. But it also is monotonous and it can be a little bit boring and neurochemically you sensitize to your partner. So it's very hard to achieve butterflies and novelty in the best of marriages. It just, it just is. And so to kind of feel like, wow, I get another shot at having all these really cool feelings that I walked down the aisle, I didn't think I was going to have again. And instead of feeling, um, bogged down by dating or, or weighted down by having to be in this spot at this juncture in life to kind of feel excited about it. Like I get to feel this again for a moment. I see you're shaking your head, like in, in affirmation that lands. Well, I think for me, yes, like relatable for sure. That, that new feeling with anybody is exciting. And so to be able to be back out there and, and test the waters and see what feels good now versus back when, okay, what feels good for like the perfect husband, you know, it's, it's different, you know, yourself more. And so I can totally relate to that. And so I think that sort of leaning into it from that headspace also allows people to feel lighter and happier and more joyful about going into this instead of feeling bogged down by it. Right. And so that would be another piece that women should be focusing on is, is recognizing like this can be cool and exciting and you get to put your best foot forward again. Right. No one is sort of looking at you as you are plus 10, 15, 20 years. They're looking at you as you are in this moment. And that's a very cool opportunity. That is, I never thought of it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I also like when you're trying to 
make the sex happen in a relationship that's been either falling apart or is just stale. It just feels so forced and it takes so much fun out of it. Totally. That's exactly, it feels so forced. That's the perfect word. And so being able to sort of set up for these experiences that not only are they not forced, they're a little bit fun. They're a little bit exciting. They're a little bit anxiety inducing, but P.S., those butterflies run the same neurochemistry as anxiety. So that's kind of what we're looking for, even though we don't (laughs) call it that, right? We're not like, I want an anxiety attack. We're like, I want butterflies, but that's the same process. And so that's exciting. So true. Um, And then, you know, I think there's the other unavoidable piece of just self-acceptance of body, right? Well, that's, that's the kicker there is like, like you said earlier, our bodies are not the same for a variety of reasons. And it's not always just how we look on the outside. It's how we feel we perform sexually, whether juices flow the same or, you know, everybody is so self-conscious coming out of a marriage. The single biggest, I don't know if complaints, the right word, the single biggest concern, better word that I hear from women is, but my body or my, my inside of my body, right? We know as we age, there's the vaginal walls aren't as supple. We don't lubricate in the same way. You may or may not be looser to have, depending on childbirth and age and just overall laxity of skin. Like there's so much that changes. And if we don't feel comfortable with it, or we haven't figured out how to manage it, then you sort of bring that insecurity to the bedroom. Yeah. So, you know, I know self-acceptance feels like such like a buzzy word, like, oh, self-acceptance. Yes, yes, but there's really something to it as it relates to sexual performance. And here's sort of my offering that we are really, really hyper aware, we being people in general, of when someone is insecure or vulnerable in the bedroom. And it's not always hot right? That sort of insecurity is not particularly sexy. If you talk to people, males or females alike, and they're like, what's the hottest thing? Maybe guys will say like boobs, but besides boobs, they will tell you confidence, right? Or or butt or whatever it is. Confidence goes a really, really long way and often will override the dimple on the tush or the boob that isn't as high to your chin as it was 20 years ago. And so- And so trying to go into these spaces confident and unapologetic is really critical, not only for your headspace, but for the message you're sending to your partner. Because I think if you show up comfortable, they're not really judging the way you are. And and getting into that and believing that is such an important factor at this juncture, plus lingerie and exercise and lubricant and taking good care of yourself, right? Like self-care counts too, also a very buzzy word, but self-care in whatever way you can manage it counts. It just does. Yeah. I have a, a, this brings to mind a certain client who was like, I mean, I'm not 25 anymore and I don't want to be like, I, and she said that I, she said, I, I'm constantly walking this line of take me as I am extra 20 pounds and all. And shit, I want to look really good and be back to my best self. And that's a struggle for a lot of people because we're in this like day and age where it's like normalize loving yourself and normalize, you know, eating because you want to eat and all those things. But then there's still people who, who want to really feel that way, but still feel this pull to having to look a certain way to be desired. Totally. Remember in like junior high, those Venn diagrams where it's like the two circles that intersect. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of what we're pulling from, right? Is that like 
Yes, we would all love to be our 25 year old self in in body per, or, or most and take me as I am. And so trying to sort of find the overlay of like, this is the best version of myself today and feeling good with that will actually make you a better lover. And I work with 25 year old women who are aesthetically, you know, at the top of their game, but they're riding so much insecurity and so much um, lack of self-awareness. Yeah that it ends up not hot anyway. You know right. what I mean? Sex is so much a vibe. And so if you can capture that confidence, I really do think that it it creates that thing that you want to feel and that your partner wants to feel. Yeah, that's a really great point. And now for the women who had all the confidence in the world, thought that shit was great, have the tight ass, have everything going for them physically, and we're never worried about that at all, had good sex with their husband and then come to find out he was having good sex with somebody else. It is a destroyer of so many things, trust, self-confidence, all of that. I'm sure you work with plenty of women or couples who have been through this. What, what does it look like to bounce back from that and feel comfortable enough to, to get intimate again? Yeah, it is a really long road for some. Infidelity actually is one of the most common things I see, both in a couple's framework and in individuals recovering from it. It's a really long road for most people. Some people are like, you set me free, but those are the outliers. I think for most people, it is a blind side of epic proportion and your world gets rocked, right? Especially, and I think you just queued up a very important piece, which is the ones that had no idea Right. The ones that were like, but we were having sex and I kept myself, uh, you know, tight and good. And I did the work and blah, blah, blah. And I still got blindsided. That is a whole morning process. It's a morning yeah. process of the vision you had when you walked down the aisle. It's a morning process of the life you thought you were living. It's a sort of come to reality that things weren't as they seem. And that in and of itself is like a big mind. Dis- I'm trying not to curse. Yeah, it's a big. <laughs> it's OK. That is like that ship has sailed here, lady. Right. Okay. Good, good, good. Yes. That is, it's, it's a mindfuck of epic proportion and it sets a woman back in a lot of different ways. That said, it takes a lot, a lot of healing and a little bit of faith that I'm not talking like religious faith. I mean, like a little bit of faith in the world that not every man is an asshole. Not everything ends in, in crumbles and shambles and like love, good sex, a good relationship is yours to be had again. And I think I talk about that sort of idea of faith or hope because bitter's not hot. And if you land in a bitter space, you know, it really informs the rest of it. And so I think sort of working on coming out of those really toxic, painful situations, not bitter is one of the best things you can actually do for your sexuality. Writing that down. Bitter is not hot. It's not. And the other piece in that is to not make the indiscretions of one man representative of every man that you will ever meet again, right? And that's hard because our brain is a funny structure and our brain learns that if something hurts us, right, we will generalize that into a bigger, broader space and stay away from it, right? If we get bit by a dog, our brain locks in a neural wire that says, oh, dogs have the potential to bite and we will be more apprehensive Mm -hmm. afterwards, right? And that's just a self-preservation technique. So true with something like a man cheating, right? Your brain subconsciously, unconsciously will lock in like, oh, relationships, loves, males can hurt or women, if you're in a lesbian relationship, can hurt and let me steer clear. And so trying to sort of like override the setting, the neural setting of self-protection and believe that like 
it could be yours to have again is a really important piece to getting over it. I love that. It reminds me of my mom actually, because my mom was cheated on by my dad in like a whole host of horrendous ways. And I remember probably in my early twenties asking her because she settled down again with somebody and she dated and she was like a hot tamale. And like, I was like, how did you trust to like be with somebody else again? Cause I fully didn't understand trust at that point in my life. And she was like, well, I would have been an idiot to think that everybody was like your dad. I knew that that was like a flaw in him. And I, that was so like poignant for me. Cause I'm like, damn, if she could do it, you know, anybody can. I love that. I feel like that's a real life and very close to home example of what I just said in a much less yes. way. Like <laughs> Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think that it's the faith and the work to heal faith, hope, desire to not be bitter that will leverage you into a more sexual space, you know, happily. So I don't know if you know yet, but I went ahead and did a thing. I wrote myself a little book and it's going to be available to all of you in January of 2022. That's just a few months away. And I am so excited for you to be able to get your hands on it. It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict and Becoming Your Best Self. Now, I bet you're wondering what it's all about. That's a great question. It's pretty much like a what to expect when you're getting divorced, a how-to guide for moms, if you will. Here's what the professionals say. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who has been through it and has come out the other side. Through Michelle's guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mother, and shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self. From co-parenting to dating as a single mother, you'll learn how to truly move on and create the life you deserve. Yes, you will. Ladies, check it out now on my website, momsmovingon.com, and you can pre-order it so you can be the first to get your hands on it. So what would you say to the woman? Because everyone asks me, and I wrote about this in my book. I have two chapters on sex in my book. One is, can I have sex now? And the other was like, can I have sex now? Part two, because- A lot of women will come right out of their marriages. And a lot of times it's the women who didn't want out. And they're like, okay, I just need to know I'm still sexy and fuckable and desirable. So I'm just going to go have sex with everybody. And then they're like, oh my God, that was horrible. It set me back so much. And I always recommend like, yeah, of course you have an itch that needs to get scratched, but you can't have any expectations from this until way on down the road. What would you advise? I am not a timeline person because I think everyone is different. And so I feel like one person's one week is another person's one year. And also I think it depends on, you know, people who have been in loveless, sexless marriages for years, the day they sign the divorce paper, isn't really the day it's over. It was over a long time ago. And so they Mm -hmm. may be more ready to launch than the person who was like, wait, I thought this was my forever. And then three months later, it deteriorated, you know, three months into 10 years, whatever it may be, that are more blindsided, that they probably are the ones that will get set back Mm -hmm. trying too soon. So I think that you said a perfect word, which is to check your expectations, right? You got to sort of go into your first sexual interactions post-marriage, really asking yourself, what are my expectations for this? And are they realistic for whatever the situation is? If you just met someone a week ago and you're going to sleep with them, 
Like you got to expect that it may be clumsy. The commitment may or may not be there and it may heal you or it may break you wide open. For someone that's been like in a loveless, sexless marriage for 10 years, five years, three years, one year. And they're like, finally, I'm out. I'm out. I've been mourning this forever. I'm done. They may be way more armored to go into a sexual interaction and be like, you know what? Whatever my expectations are, eh, I can do yes. it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really checking how far along in your process are and what you're trying to get out of it. But go ahead. How dangerous do you think it is for a woman who is just hurt and vulnerable to, you know, I sex is so emotional for women. You know, I'll hear from so many clients who are like, and then we had sex and it was amazing. And I know this guy is different and he's, he's what I was looking for. And then two months later it fizzles out because it was just those emotions fucking with your mind. 100% women connect and then want to have sex and they think it's an extension thereof and it can really set them up to be gravely disappointed. And so I think that the idea is you can't be trying to fill a deficiency yes. through sex. I think that when you feel totally whole or totally, do we ever feel totally whole? When you feel whole enough and healed enough and you're not trying to sort of fill a gap, huh? Fill a gap, no pun intended, but you're not trying to fill a gap, right? I'm like a classic around here, Michelle, but right. <laughs> that, I think that's a really safe space to do it in, right? Where you're not trying to buoy. No pun intended. Right. I mean, this I is going. this, but I'm bum. Okay. Yes. But you should see when I work with erectile dysfunction, I tell the men it must be hard. And then I, I've trained myself to say it's difficult. I know that's difficult. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, and you know what, on that note, there's one more thing I want to say. It's not really, it's a non sequitur to a degree, but it's an important thing. Males dating at this age group have their own insecurities they're bringing to the table also. And so while women are worried about their body and how their body has changed and their body is changing, et cetera, men's bodies and their cooperation uh, with their penis and their brain are changing too. So I also just want to highlight, sometimes we are so in our head as women, we forget that they're coming to the table with their own stuff too. Truth, good point. You know, we're we're on more equal playing fields than we realize. Theirs is more penis oriented and ours is more body image oriented, but we're both come in with some insecurities. And so also to recognize that like they have their own stuff that they're bringing to the table. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. That was a non sequitur, but I wanted to land there for a second. Um, well, I know a lot of women will, you know, especially in emotionally, toxic or abusive marriages, when a man does start to have those erectile issues for whatever reason, if there's substance abuse issues or mental health issues, the woman takes it on as her fault, her responsibility. And the man will very often say, well, yeah, if you look different or you were this or you were that just to take the blame off of them. And then they're coming out of this marriage dealing with that. And it's, I always say like the worst thing you could put on yourself, right? Not only is it the worst thing that you can put on yourself, it's 99% untrue. So erectile dysfunction is not really a function of your body, you being the female or the partner. It's the man. It's the man. It's their brain. If it's psychogenic erectile dysfunction, they can't focus. They're stressed. They're not in it. They're worried. They're evaluating their own performance skills or it's age related and blood and circulation related or it's substance related or they're taking a medicine that's interrupting it. Our tendency as women, I think at a global level is to internalize things, right? We are sort of reared to take things on and make things better and make sure that it's not a function of us. 
in social situations, emotional situations, et cetera. And so our landing pad with intimacy when there's erectile dysfunction or even a decline in the intimacy is to internalize it. It's a function of what I look like, of what I'm doing, of how he feels about me. This must mean something. Not true, not true. That's their own stuff. And so the more we can not internalize sexual dysfunction coming from them, the better we will be. And for the women listening that had partners that were unkind enough to sort of use them as a scapegoat for their own dysfunction, to work really hard to give them the, they need to work really hard to give themselves the message that like, it was not me. And those are examples of where having good sex with someone new can be very healing, right? Absolutely. Someone makes you feel hot and whose penis is attracted to you and is performing for you, et cetera. So something that has come up um, recently in my practice is sexual abuse, mm. either withholding or forcing or anything under the umbrella of sexual abuse, which can be extremely traumatic and triggering, especially if a person has experienced something similar in their childhood. How do you work with women to come out of that space? This is similar, although different, but the work is similar to healing from infidelity. And if we borrow your mom's words, right? Mm -hmm. But like not all men are this, this was a flaw in him, not in every human, right? So I think that that is one piece of it. This idea of recognizing that like, not every sexual relationship will land in manipulation or abuse or aggression or coercion. And then also doing the work to not take on the blame, right? There's victim blame, feeling mm-hmm. like, why did I allow it? Why did I let it go on so long? Why didn't I speak up for myself? And to really quiet those messages and recognize that this was not your fault. You stayed in it for whatever reasons. Divorce is inconvenient. It's difficult to dismember families. You don't want to define 10 or 15 or 20 years by one part of the relationship, right? Like whatever the mental messages you told yourself to stay in it, to be willing to put those messages down and also to know what your boundaries are now, right? So going into your next relationship, having found a different voice, so you feel empowered, so you feel um that you're in control. So you feel like you will not let this happen again. Uh, I think that this idea for women that have been the recipients of any sort of sexual manipulation is that not only is it the self-blame that they feel or the attachment to taking responsibility and what they could have done different, but the second piece is what will I do different going forward? And boundary setting and speaking up for yourself is just one of the best things you can do in upcoming relationships. Love that advice. That's so key. Okay. So I have to ask you one other thing. I don't know how old you are and I'm not going to ask you to share that, but I'm 38 and I have friends in their early forties who are like, oh my God, sex in your forties is a whole new thing. And I'm like, how could that be? It's good now. No, 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 no. Wait till you're in your forties. What is this sexual revolution that happens at 40? Yep. I'm in my forties. I will tell you. Um, I think it's the freedom to be yourself. You know, if you look at the general trajectory of most women who are developing their sexual identity, here's for most women, what it is. They party in college and their sex and their sexual experiences are usually like a little drunk, a little fun. And then they go into their twenties, also a little drunk, a little fun. And really most women are trying to show up for the man. So if you talk to most women developing their sexual identity in their twenties, it's, they want to be a good lover. And so they're like, rah, rah, woo. They're faking orgasms. They're excited. They're enthusiastic because they want him to say, 
say, oh, you were so good. And then somewhere in their thirties, they start to find their voice. And I think that by the time you're in your forties, you've had children, potentially, if you, if you went that route, you may or may not have been through a marriage for your audience. You have been, and you've had children. And so I think you arrive at a place where you're kind of like, give a shit. What do I have to lose? I know who I am and I feel freer. I'm willing to take my time. I want my orgasm. I recognize that I probably need clitoral stimulation for it. I recognize that it's not going to happen in under 30 seconds. Like I was faking in my twenties or like the movies suggested. And I'm more comfortable to sit and be like, yeah, this is going to take, give me what I want, man. And I want it. That's right. And I think that that's, that's the liberating piece. And I also think that's the exciting piece for women who are moving on from divorce is you get to recreate your sexual narrative and your sex life in a way that's very hard to do with someone that you built it with since you were young. You know, it's Mm -hmm. hard to sort of reset because you know each other and it's hard, you know, to be like, well, we're each other's best friend and blah, 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 blah. And we've been this for so long, but now I want to try something new. But for moms that are moving on from that chapter and discovering like a new space, you get to show up as you are and you get to be like a little more vocal, a little more free, a little more adventurous without the fear of being judged or someone being like, where did that come from? Or you never liked that. And so I think that that's the piece that's so exciting about sort of 40 on. And it all goes back to the mental, the self-confidence that you talked about in the beginning. It's all sexuality is all mental. I mean, really right down to how we have an orgasm. I always tell people like, you can sort of apply as much pressure as you want or as much stimulation as you want to the clitoris or even the penis on any given moment. But if their head is not in a sexualized headspace, you will not see a sexual response take place. Mm-hmm. And so we know that you need to land in sexual headspace, which is why masturbation is so important, which is why healing from abuse and betrayal is so important. And which is why sort of quieting that uh, inner critic that most women have is so important because your orgasms, your sexual pleasure, your desire, your excitement lives in sexual headspace. It doesn't live in self-critique. It doesn't live in anxiety. And so knowing how to sort of land in that room in your brain and stay there is so crucial. And the more self-acceptance and practice we have, the easier it is. I love that. Okay. So for anybody listening who is just thinking about putting themselves back out there, what advice would you have to them? To not overthink it and to know that they can push the eject button at any moment. They can be mid-date, they can be mid-penetration, and they can just bail. Like going out with someone, even going back to bed with someone, obligates you to nothing. And so if you feel like you're ready and you want to put your toe in the water, do so. And if you feel like you need to sort of backtrack, that's okay too. I think sometimes we feel like, well, once I get on the train, I got to see it through. Not true. You don't owe anyone anything. And that's so great. Yeah. Kind of like coming from like, what do I have to lose? And if it feels uncomfortable at any minute, I can get out. It should, should free them. And I, I'm a big fan of like, you got nothing to lose. Don't overthink it. And if it sucks or you're uncomfortable, you bail and then you'll regroup and try again. And that's, that's the beauty of dating, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that once you get past the hurdle of like dating is scary and you put yourself back out there and you're like, oh, I'm going to make this what I need it to be. It's definitely very empowering. 
Absolutely. And by the way, firsts are scary. So dating is scary. Anything that we have to redo or a first day of a job or any, it all. And that that's what it is. And so to not over assign meaning to it, but to recognize like new chapters come with a little bit of anxiety. In fact, I'm sure you see clients of yours, like I prefer to see a little bit of, of concern or fear. like the women that come out of a marriage that are like, I'm ready. And you're like, Oh, tiger, there's a learning curve here. Like just slow it down. Right. Some of that hesitation or tentativeness is protective and adaptive Uh and healthy. So all it means is like you're healthy and you're going into this, you know, eyes wide open. Right. I was the, I was the I'm ready person. And they were like, I'm in, I'm in. My mom was like, whoa, whoa, slow down. You just came out of a marriage three days ago. Hold on. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, but that's great advice. And I'm so happy you shared what you shared with us today. I think it's going to be so helpful for so many. We like touched on everything. And I would love for you to share where people can find you, what you're working on now, what, what they can learn from you if they check you out. Yep. Thank you. So people can find me either on Instagram at Dr. Lisa Paz, or they can go to my website, drlisapaz.com. Currently what I'm working on, I'm most excited about, I mean, they can do therapy with me, remote sessions, et cetera, but um, they can download courses right now. I have one going on how to talk to your children. I'm looking uh, at that right now. How cool. Two to 11 on sex. And it's really, really comprehensive and really user-friendly. And there's a whole section that uh, lets parents and moms look at their messaging from their childhood. So there's a little bit of growth opportunity there. And then stay tuned. There's going to be one coming out for how to develop your sexuality as a woman. Right now, there's one on premature ejaculation. And I have a female one coming on about how to grow our sexual identity. So that should be by end of year. So people can just keep staying in touch with me via social media and they will see it when it comes out. Awesome. I'm obviously going to link everything you guys, you need to check her out. There's like nothing she doesn't know in the world of sex. This was fabulous. Thank you for having me. You are like amazing and comfortable. And I see why everyone loves you so much because Ah. you you make this topic, which can be full of pain and fear, just so available to everybody in a different kind of way. So that's awesome. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate everyone listening. Stay in touch. I love hearing from you. Leave reviews, reviews help. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists, and it's called the Moms Moving On Membership Community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com, and click on Become a Member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.